Okay, um, what do you guys think of this series so far, Mind Blowing Faith? Gabe's gonna pull up our, our emblem. <laughs> what do you think of this guy? I love this guy that Kurt picked for Mind Blowing Faith. But, um, yeah, right? He's kind of scary. Uh, we started with um, Light in a Dark World, and Light in a Dark World, Pastor Kurt did that, and that was about knowing the nature of Jesus and how mind-blowing it is that we as believers are carrying his light in this dark world. And then we went to Gideon's army. When God's calling on your life just doesn't really make sense, but when you follow through, you know that it was only because of God that you were able to complete it and with success. This mind-blowing story of taking an army of 32,000, whittling it down to 300, and they defeated 120,000 Midianites. And then he went to Balaam's smart ass. I mean, I mean, I think he called it dumber than a donkey, uh, Pastor Marty. But it was about activating your eternal eyesight, that the spiritual realm trumps the physical realm, and God may use any means to get your attention, perhaps even especially when you have come to the end of yourself. So it's been super fun to see how God has been developing this series. When we planned it, we wanted it to be a fun one. Marty, came, Pastor Dr. Marty came up with this series called Wouldn't It Be Cool If We Did a Series on Crazy But True Stories, Things You Had Just to Be There, Just to See, to Believe. And we also thought that this series was going to lay the groundwork very nicely for this series that we have coming up. So that's a little teaser. But we wanted it to be fun. And so he came up with topics like the Nephilim, the sons of God, uh, of course, Noah Ar Noah's Ark and Jonah the Whale. We're not actually going to be doing any of those. He came up with other cool ones. <laughs> but, but yeah, if you want to just do some studying, just check out the Nephilim. That's good stuff. Okay, but I was thinking, you know, we as humans, we get so desensitized so quickly, don't we? Being mind-blown really just doesn't last that long. I mean, we get to see Mount Rainier every single day. Just think about those people in Indiana. Yes. Why move here? Yeah. I mean, come on, cornfields. We aren't phased anymore by two-hour Amazon Prime deliveries. We can earn diplomas and degrees online. We can answer calls on our watches. We can watch any sermon from around the world on our phones as we're driving in our electric car. Right, right Tony? Yeah. Uh, it's all pretty mind-blowing at first, and it's like, yeah, yeah, what's next? Because I think we get easily desensitized, too, because our world is so senses-focused. These they, they sit around and plan, like, what can we do to make people's mouths drop? How can we tickle their ears? Our, our culture is just hyper, hyper-sexualized, hyper-speed, and it's just thirsty. Some of you know what I mean by that. In order to keep our senses satisfied, it's par for the course to say or sing the most explicit things. Shows don't uncensor the F word anymore. To wear next to nothing on our bodies and post it all over social media. They started by putting sex in R-rated movies and now it has become same sex and it's been put in kids school books and curriculum. I mean the darkness is loud and it consistently aims to feed our senses and over time we get desensitized and we know this and it makes us feel some type of way too we get anxious about seeing what's happening around the world we get tired we get overwhelmed but on the flip side we can also become desensitized to the mind-blowing supernatural miraculous truth that the Holy Spirit of God lives within believers who call upon the name of Jesus and it is his job to help us yes. 
but we just get so complaining and we get so whiny, maybe a lot whiny, and there's just no really good reason for it because we have a Holy Spirit. We see this happen in Scripture, and you're probably guessing, since I said the word whiny and complaining, that I'm going to be talking about the Israelites today. <laughs> yes, those complaining Israelites. So where are we landing today in Scripture? What's the mind-blowing, crazy but true story that we're going to cover today? Well, if you haven't noticed, we've been going in Bible book order. And last week, Dr. Marty preached out of the book of Numbers. So we're going to be out of Numbers today, too. And in a lot of Exodus and just a touch of Deuteronomy. So I hope you like teaching. Um, but today, we're going to be talking about the mind-blowing, crazy event where God produced water from dry desert rocks for the Israelites. Not just once, but sustained them in the desert for 40 yes. years. Wow. 40 years. And what do we know about the desert? Well, we know that you cannot sustain human life, physical life. You can't catch or kill enough to eat in order to survive. And within two to three hours of walking, you're parched and feeling completely dehydrated in a desperate need for water. And what do we know about the desert from a scriptural point of view? Maybe the first thing that comes to mind is when Jesus spent 40 years in the desert. But for sure, what comes to mind is the Israelites spending 40 years in the desert, and we know that the trek to Canaan does not take that long. When we think of their desert experience, we probably get a bit mind-blown about their behavior. Well, they were human just like us. And God's intent with them is the same that it is with us, to lead us into the fullness of Christ. To lead us into the fullness of Christ. God intended to view us for us to view the Israelites in the desert as a paradigm for how we are, we are to view our lives. Like, if you want to know what your life is all about, what it has been about, what your life is going to be about, study the Israelites, the Hebrew nation, as they traveled in the desert. The desert was a time about learning about God. And I want you to say amen to these things, that God is unbelievably compassionate. Amen. amen. That God is unbelievably loving. Amen. amen. And unbelievably forgiving. Amen. amen. But the desert experience was also a time of testing. It's been well commented on that there were three specific things that God tested in the desert. He tested their hearts, he tested their wills, and he tested their might. And he will do that with each one of us as yes. well. But it's all meant to lead us into the fullness of Christ. So with no further ado, the title of my message today is The Water Path to Fullness. I'm calling the route the Israelites took through the desert, the water path. It starts from Exodus 14 and it goes to Numbers 20. And on a map, it goes from Egypt to Moab. And it's all about God's miraculous intervention to sustain the Israelites from uh, by providing them water from rock. And we know they also provided manna and quail and the fire by night and the cloud by day. So last time you got my background as teaching, I have to pull on my use my strength of teaching. I'm not a preacher. I'm not going to be going like this. So last time you saw my PowerPoint skills. This time you're going to see my timeline skills. And you history lovers, uh, I know you're going to love this. But my goal for this time is I want you to feel like you're in the middle of the story today, the heart of the story, and I want you to feel anchored to the scriptural text so that you know right where you are in the larger story of God. I picked the most notable events in Exodus. So here's the timeline. Are you ready? It's good. So today we're starting with the Israelites in Egypt. And remember, this is the Hebrew nation that God, uh, God's chosen people. It came from Abraham, the man that God chose to build the family of God, and he made a covenant with him. 
Prince Moses is out of that line, and he remember he is a Hebrew baby, and he was put in a river down the basket, and he was picked up by Egyptian royalty. And later, as he grows up, he kills a man, an Egyptian man, for the way he treated a Hebrew man. So he says, "I got to get out of here." So he escapes Midian. Then he gets called by oh, the timeline there, Gabe, we're we're, rock, we're going. Uh, Moses receives the call from uh, God at Mount Sinai. And he is told to go deliver the Hebrew nation from slavery in Egypt. The, the Egypt, they, they send the, God creates the ten plagues that mind-blowingly Pharaoh lets the Israelites go. They flee from Egypt under the leadership of Moses in 1447 BC. They cross the Red Sea. It's actually called the Sea of Reeds. And this is by a divine, strong eastern wind. Eastern wind. And three days later, after crossing the Red Sea, they get to Mara. And this is actually going to be the very first place on our water path, but we'll, we'll start there in a minute. Next, um, Moses receives the Ten Commandments on two stone tablets. And if you're, if you're tracking, he receives the Ten Commandments six years after being called by God and three months after fleeing Egypt. Next up in Exodus, we see the Israelites rebel against God. If you remember, after Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, he sees them worshiping a golden calf, and he smashes those things. And so he's got to get another set from God. Another set of stone tablets. God also gives him instructions to build the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, so at this point of the story in, in Exodus, they, they, fled, they fled Egypt. It's been 13 months, and they had their very first census, and these guys uh, are in the number of 2 million men, women, and children. After 14 months of travel, they reach Kadesh Barnea, and this is another stop on our water path, but this is where they stayed for three decades. Wow. There's a, this is a picture of what it was believed to be the area. It's, an, it's an, actually an oasis. Uh, Moses' sister Miriam dies, and uh, then Moses sends spies into Canaan. You remember, this is the land that God promised them, and they say, nope, we're not going. Uh, many hardships continue for them, and there's a rebellion that goes up against Moses, and God responds with an earthquake, destroying those rebellious leaders. Then Moses' brother Aaron dies, and this is when the Israelites leave Kadesh. They enter Canaan, but they do not get the blessing, this blessing of safe passage from the king, so they journey to Moab. And exciting stuff, this is right where we are in the story that Dr. Marty preached out of last week. So we kind of went back a little bit. But this is when the Israelites get bitten by those poisonous snakes, and God tells Moses, build a snake on a bronze pole so that any of those bitten can look upon it and be healed. And be healed. They continue traveling through Moab. Uh, and they defeat some kings along the way. King Balak hears of, this, of these defeats and sends for the prophet Balaam. Okay, it's going to start coming together. And he asks Balaam to pour curses out onto the Israelites. And then, of course, the mind-blowing event of the talking, talking donkey happens. Right, that was last week. And to jog your memory, King Balak takes Balaam and he goes to a viewpoint and he says, curse those Israelites. And he says, nope, not doing it. So he takes him to another viewpoint and he says, curse those Israelites. He says, nope, not doing it. In fact, he blesses the Israelites and then he foretells of their victory. And so the Israelites go on to, to defeat the five kings of Midian. Amazing. Unfortunately, Moses dies at 120 at Mount Nebo. Then Joshua succeeds Moses and the Israelites cross the Jordan River. And if you remember last Thanksgiving, we put up the 12 stones. I brought out our 12 stones, remembering what God has done for them. So these rocks, man... If I had known that when I taught that in Thanksgiving, these rocks have so much significance, and you're going to see that after today, the significance of rock. 
So, um, listen, I know that was a lot of teaching. Hopefully you guys uh, liked it, but honestly, if you're just a visual person, there's a map I have for you, and it shows their route. And really, seeing a route like this dispels this narrative of the Israelites. They're just wandering around, lost, tired, hungry, thirsty, and they were, but they weren't just wandering around. God was leading them, and this is the route they took. He led them through Moses and by a cloud by day and a fire by night, and he spoke through Moses. Okay, so this is where our water path is going to start. It's going to start at Marah. So after they cross the Red Sea, it takes them three days to get to Marah. Then they reach Rephidim after about three months. Then they reach Kadesh after about 14 months, like I've said, where they stayed for 38 years. And then eventually they get into Canaan. They divide up in the, the land into 12 for each of the tribal tribes. Okay, so we're going to be looking at these today, mostly Mara, Elim, Rephidim, and Kadesh, if we have time. Beersheba was another one on the path, but we just don't have time for that today. Um, but if you look on the map again, I want you to see the distance between the Red Sea and Marah. That's a good amount of ground, right? You get the sense that they weren't just traveling, they were escaping. And I love the significance of the three days. From a survival point of view, we know that water is essential. After three days, we need water or we're nearly going to perish. And if you've done any digging on the story, and I have, there's this really cool teaching about the significance for the new believer. That once you cross the Red Sea, it's similar to receiving your salvation, right? In fact, if you remember when they crossed, they, they had all kinds of gold and jewelry and clothing that the Egyptians gave them. So this is kind of like akin to receiving the gift of salvation. And perhaps at salvation, God has also freed you from a stronghold that you just couldn't shake. Or perhaps you've been overcome with inexplicable joy. So these are akin to the gifts. But then as they've been traveling for the three days, getting thirsty, this is similar to when we're starting to question, is this faith thing in Jesus really working out? So that's an excellent teaching, and I'd like you to, you know, challenge you to look into it more. But as we get started, um, as, as we get to Moriah, they start to complain. So let's read our first scripture. Exodus 15, 22 through 24. Then Moses, and I'm using the NET Bible. Then Moses led Israel to journey away from the Red Sea. They walked for three days into the wilderness and found no water. Then they came to Marah, but they were not able to drink the waters of Marah because they were bitter. So the people murmured against Moses, saying, what can we drink? So Marah is known for many things. First, its name means bitter. The water is undrinkable. And second, remember when I said the desert is a place of testing? This is when the Israelites, the hearts of, of the Israelites were tested. This is the place. He's going to lead with their voice, but are they going to follow his voice? He's going to give them the Ten Commandments, but are, they going, are their hearts going to align with his? Let's read on. Uh, 25 through 26. There the Lord made for them a binding ordinance, and there he tested them. He said, If you will diligently obey the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and pay attention to his commandments and keep all his statutes, then all the diseases that I brought on the Egyptians I will not bring on you, for I, the Lord, am your healer. If you're tracking, remember, later they're going to get be bitten by snakes. And so he has Moses build a snake pole so all who look upon the pole get healed, gets healed, show, giving them the knowledge that God is the one that healed them. Yes. But here it is. Two million people have fled Egypt and escaped slavery. They've been on the run for three days, and they are in need of the most basic essential need of life, water. So let's look and see how he intervened, how he provided for them. 24 and 25. So the people murmured against Moses, saying, What can we drink? He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. 
When Moses, that's why I brought my sticks. These were washed up water. We live on the Lake Silicon. These were washed up. Perfect. Thank you, Jesus. When he threw it into the water, the water became safe to drink. God is showing them and he's showing us that he knows what we yes. need before we need it. Yes. And he will bring it through any means. So the next stop on the water path is Elim. Elim. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that. Elim. Uh, but it's very close to Marah. Exodus 15, 27. Then they came to Elim, where the twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, and they camped there by the water. So we see here again that the Lord is hyper-aware of our essential needs, but what is amazing about his provision at Elim are a couple of things to note. This isn't a place of testing. They've been tested. What this place is is a place of rest. Elim is an, an oasis in the middle of the desert with 70 palm trees and 12 wells. Keep this in mind. We have a couple more stops on our, wa on our walk water path, but honestly, I just want to give you the, the message and the meat right up front. During prayer and prep for this message, I asked the Lord what he had for us today, and I think the Lord wants to drop seeds in your heart and mind about what it means to rest in him and how can we provide rest for others. I know hearing the words rest in him is a completely religious phrase. It just is. If you go to Hobby Lobby in aisle one, five colors, rest in him, rest in him. But I want to give this to you because I want you to make connections throughout the rest of this, the rest of this teaching. I want you to quietly ask the Lord in your heart right now, what does it mean for me to rest in you? What do you have for me today, Lord? Is this the word for me today? And what do you want to show me about it? This message is absolutely for me. That's why I know it was this was the theme because we can talk about provision. We yeah. see it. We can talk about like the common things that, that this amazing but mind-blowing true water from the rock teaches. But I asked Lord, okay, give me something that's like for today and, and that I can teach confidently. And years ago he asked me, he taught me about resting in him and concerning my marriage. And he's been teaching me, I think, in the last couple of months about the ministry context of what it means to rest in him. Uh, Kurt's wife, Meg, would start dropping little things about how to rest, and, and then Mama B would say some things, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, is this what you want to say? And so I do. I think I've been resting in the Lord in this concept in, in a ministry context, and I'm, I'm starting to see some fruit of it. And so I, I think that's why this message is for Redeemed, too. We've been through so many stages, yes. highs and lows. Yeah. And when we moved into this building, we got adrenaline. I had some adrenaline. And, and Kurt's been talking about this this past week, too. It might have been just wearing, it might be wearing off a little bit, and now we're doing the work. Yes. We're doing the work. Yeah. But I think our hearts have been tested. Yeah. I do think so. I think God is asking us, where are your hearts when we align with his? And I can tell you from being in prayer groups, and I can tell you from being on staff, that our leaders are talking about God. God, we want to follow your word. Yes. God, you are the cornerstone of this church. We want you to, to lead us. So I can tell you that I think that we're on the right path. So this life lesson of rescuing Jesus, let's keep this in mind. But next up is we're going to go to Rephidim. They leave uh, Elim, and they are en route to Sinai. That's their goal. But they're super hungry, and they're complaining that God promises to feed them. So he swoops in, sends a migratory bird, quails. Amen. And also manna. And this is a small white seed that landed on the ground like frost, and it tasted like uh, wafers made with honey. This was his provision for that. But Exodus 17, it says, remember this is in the first year of fleeing Egypt. The whole community of the Israelites pitched camp in Rephidim. Now there was no water for the people to drink, so the people contended with Moses, and they said, give us water to drink. 
Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you test the Lord? Then Moses cried out to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Go over before the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will be standing before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you will strike the rock, and water will come out of it, so that the people may drink. And he called the name of this place Massa and Meribah, because of the contending of the Israelites and because of their testing the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So they are at Rephidim at God, and therefore Moses, they call this place Meribah, Masa, which means testing, and Meribah, which is complaining, means complaining. And so the interesting thing about complaining and worrying, these are things that are going to kill any sense of being rest, of resting in Christ. Come on. And isn't complaining just like coveting? You guys are going to love this next part. I didn't make this up. <laughs> isn't coveting like isn't complaining like coveting? It's a heart issue. Yeah. And where does God talk about coveting? That's right, the Ten Commandments, specifically Exodus 20, 17. This word covet is repeated twice. It's the only commandment that's repeated twice. And in the, in the ancient language, a repetition of a word is like what we do to underline or italicize. So he is, this is important to God. He's trying to get our attention. We're not supposed to covet anything that belongs to our neighbor. And that's why we complain. There's got to be something that we're wanting. We're not, we're not getting. That's so good. God gave the Israelites free, physical freedom from slavery, from Egypt, but he gave them the Ten Commandments to give them inner liberty. And perhaps that was even more important than their physical freedom. And I wish I could, could claim that line, too. Yes. I can't. Yeah. I learned something else about the Ten Commandments in regards to coveting. Do you know that there's one thing that God covets? Yes, he covets something. And that is found in Genesis 2-2. The heavens and the earth were completed with everything that was in them. By the seventh day, God finished the work that he had been doing, and he ceased on the seventh day. All the work that he had been doing. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he ceased all the work that he had been doing in creation. That line, God finished the work that he had been doing and ceased on the seventh day, this, mean, this is hemdat yamin. And it means a day to be coveted in ancient Aramaic. So we can learn how, uh, we can learn from this how important rest is to God, how much He wants us to find that in Him. Yes, this is referring to the Sabbath day or the holy day, but it represents that God is enough, that we have gathered the manna in the six days, and on the seventh day we cease the work of our hands and we rest. We do what the Lord tells us to do and let Him take care of the rest. So to wrap up um, a Rephidim, we can see that they didn't pass their test very well. <laughs> they did not trust that God was truly among them, but he continues to provide. He uses the obedience of Moses. He uses his staff, which is another piece of driftwood that came up on our beach, and a dry desert rock. And he is teaching them that he is the source of their provision. We have another stop to get to. This place is called Kadesh. Barnea, and it's probably the most infamous. In fact, if you've heard of water in the rock, this is probably the scenario in the Bible that you that you are, have heard of the most. This is Numbers 21 through 11, and for the sake of time, I've taken some of the verses out. The, then the entire community of Israel entered the wilderness of Zin, and the people stayed in Kadesh. The people contended with Moses, saying, Why have you brought us from Egypt only to bring us to this dreadful place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly, threw themselves down with their faces to the ground, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, take the staff and assemble the community, you and your brother Aaron. Aaron, your brother. And then speak to the rock before their eyes. It will pour forth its water, and you will bring water out of the rock for them. And so you will give the community and their beasts water to drink. So Moses took the staff from before the Lord. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the community together in front of the rock, and he said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? <clears throat> then Moses raises his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff, and water came out abundantly, so the community drank, and their beasts drank too. This passage here is filled with different things to explore. I can't do that with you today, but look up the difference between the rock the, at, at Meribah, um, Rephidim, and the rock at Meribah, Kadesh. They are two different scenarios. Uh, Israelites complained at both these places, but you've probably noticed that Moses doesn't follow God's directions. In fact, that is the reason why he is not allowed entry into Canaan. And uh, I, I feel like I just, yeah, I'm just so excited to say this. Okay, commentary, Christian commentary, okay. Jewish commentary is called Midrash, right? And there is this Midrash that when Moses, I referenced this, when Moses killed the Hebrew, the Egyptian man, he was angry. God tells him to speak to the rock in this situation. He strikes the rock. And there's a Midrash that the elders are lined up in front of the rock. So when he strikes the rock, he's not striking the rock, he's striking, the, he's striking out with anger. And it's the same thing that he did so many years before. His heart may not have changed. The anger he felt is, is just followed him. So that's a midrash. And again, that's not necessarily scriptural. It's, it's, it's a story, but it's an interesting one, right? And we can kind of see that in the text. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, this is a pick of the rock at Horeb. They believe it is the rock at Horeb, at Meribah Kadesh. This is likely the visual that God used and the other rocks along the water path that was used always to point to Christ, to the coming Christ. Be'er or Beersheba is next. That means well. You can gather that there's going to be a well there. God provides water, but we're not going to go there today. <clears throat> but this rock, this, it points to Christ in the fullness that we can only receive in him. When we learn, and it may be through testing, to trust the voice of God and to depend on him for our needs, that is when we can finally rest in him, how we can understand it. Hebrews is next, and the writer of Hebrews is, is talking about Jesus and Moses. And you know, Moses is sort of a typology for Christ in, in the Old Testament. And um, I'm not going to read all of it. I'm really going to start at 7 through 11. But it says, um, the Hebrew writer is now quoting um, Psalm 95. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Oh, that today you would listen as he speaks. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of testing in the wilderness. There your fathers tested me and tried me, and they saw my work for 40 years. Therefore, I became provoked at that generation and said, Their hearts are always wandering, and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my anger, they will never enter my rest. And out of Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 10, this is the passage is called Learning from Israel's Failures. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were all drinking from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. But God was not pleased with most of them, for they were cut down in the wilderness. These things happened as examples for us, so that we will not crave evil things as they did. And let us not put Christ to the test as some of them did, and were destroyed by snakes." 
and do not complain as some of them did, as, and they, who were killed by the destroying angel. No trial has overtaken you that is not faced by others. Yeah. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tried beyond yes. what you're able to bear, but with trial will also provide a way out so that you may be able to endure it. Paul here is pointing out to them and to us, hey, listen, that rock that provided them water, that was Christ. Mm-hmm. That water that they drank, that was spiritual water. God didn't tell Moses to go tell the people to go lift up every rock they could find looking for water. No, there was one source, and it came from Christ. All that they needed, Christ provided. So why do we go around picking up different rocks? Mm. I do it too. But there's no real rest to be found under those places. In closing, yes, we're going to be closing here. It is my prayer that the Lord has been speaking to you about rest. And what that looks like for your season in life right now. But some good questions to ask yourself. What do you need spiritually right now? Where are you getting your water? Or more specifically, what is your spiritual water? What is your level of confidence in God? Are you feeling full of faith that God's going to provide a way to be able to endure your trials? What is your current level of worry? Because the spiritual water that Christ gives takes care of that worry. These are all good questions to ask yourself to gauge how well rested you are in Christ. And if you're feeling rested, how are you giving it back to others? Perhaps you're in a season of life that the Israelites uh, experienced at Elim. This little oasis in life, feeling pretty good. God brought you there. Enjoy it. But how can you bless others? How can you provide for them some refreshment too? And the worship team can go ahead and come on up. You know... A beautiful thing happens when you are intentionally resting in Him and have walked through a season of rest in Him. You notice Christ's strength in you. You feel your strength grow, or perhaps you've recognized how strong you have become. That's how I know that this message was for me and and why it was about rest, because I feel a supernatural strength that I have not felt before. I pretty much get filled with extreme anxiety when I before I teach. But throughout this has just been a joy ride. And really and a really strong experience. And about 30 hours of study. Uh, maybe more. It's all good. Uh, but you know what it's, it's similar to? It's grace. You know what it feels like to receive grace from God so you give grace to others. And it's the same with rest, I think. It's like providing shade, shade for others. And, of course, we give God all the glory for that. You know, that instant gratification stuff, that hyper-speed culture, it kills any opportunity to give God glory. When we choose to rest, relax, and wait on the Lord, when He delivers, it's surprising and refreshing and satisfying every time. It's His way to keep us from becoming desensitized so that we can glorify Him. I didn't really come up with three points for this message. I just felt like resting in Christ in order to experience the fullness that he offers was the takeaway, but Tim Keller has four four points, (laughs) and I'm going to steal them. That's that's Kurt's favorite uh, pastor. Uh, But he had these four things to sum up the water and the rock. Life is a wilderness. There's a rock in the wilderness. There's water in the rock. And God has sent Jesus to pass the test in the wilderness on our behalf. And he passed that test perfectly so you yourself will become sweet, joyful, and beautiful through the work of Jesus. We do not have to wander in the desert. 
we can probably take that quick route to Canaan if we're listening and resting in him and trusting in his provision.